Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. Why I used red ink, I don't know. And it, this is the best handwriting I could possibly come up with, and it's terrible. So I was so happy when we went to computers and, and all that kind of thing. Uh, but if you, if, if you would remember to sign that sheet in the back, it, I'd, I'd appreciate it. It's kind of a memento for me. <clears throat> but it, it really is all about soul. It's all about Calvary. The very first message was on Calvary. And I, and I was talking about that with somebody. And I don't remember who. You might want to raise your hand and let me know who it was. But, um, you know, about the first message on Calvary. And I think somebody suggested, well, why don't you make that your last message? I said, well, that sounds terrific. You can't get any better than that. You start with Calvary, you finish with Calvary. And, uh, you know, so many great memories. And I was thinking uh, just uh, a couple minutes ago, Anna, Vacation Bible School, 2019. This is when Anna came forward after one of the services to to get saved. And uh, just terrific. And uh, just so many stories like that uh, eternity changing moments and boy to have an opportunity and it's to have an opportunity and this is true for every christian uh, as we as we uh, repeat the gospel god gave it right we're just telling other people what he already said uh, about how they can be saved and how your sins can be forgiven and how you can know for sure that when you die you'll spend eternity with jesus and you don't have to worry about paying the penalty for your sin because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no self-righteous people in this room. They don't exist. But it's, uh, it's all about Jesus. We need God's forgiveness. And I just want to be abundantly clear. We'll cover this also, but I want to be abundantly clear. We need God's forgiveness because we have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, but God sent his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sin. And when we repent and ask God to forgive us, receive Christ as our Savior. That's the one and only way of salvation, according to the Word of God. What's beautiful about it is you couldn't make up a better way. You couldn't make up a better way. It's serious in that it deals with our sin, and yet its grace makes it, a, makes it available for all. And it's, it's a perfect, perfect plan of salvation. And I'd like us to, um, to turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 27, I'm going to start by reading uh, verses, uh, it's kind of a long passage, it's 29 through 54, so just hang in there, I'll, I promise it'll only be a couple minutes, and I'm not going to keep you long today, but verse um, 29 through 54 of Matthew chapter 27, we read about Calvary. One of several passages, texts in scripture where we could find it, this is nice because it's, it's all together, you don't have to flip pages to compare, with, uh, I'll reference a couple other verses as we go along. But um, it's perfect, and it's beautiful. And um, um, uh, you know, we're honored to read about these things and to just say it once, one more time. One more time. In starting verse 29, it says, When they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head, and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him. And took the reed and smote him on the head. After that, they had mocked him. They took the robe from off him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. 
And, and this really happened. I mean, this is, it was 2,000 years ago, but this happened. This was the Son of God. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vestures did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And then they passed by, reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others himself, he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, when they heard that, said, this man called for Elijah. But straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion, and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake, and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Calvary. Father, we are we're so thankful that as we pray in Jesus' name, Lord, you hear us. And God, you are mighty, you are holy, you're the you're omnipotent one, Lord of lords and King of kings. And yet, Lord, you love us. And we are so flawed and uh, so much in need. Uh, but God, there you are. You love us so much that you gave your only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to bear our sin. He paid the price for our sin on the cross of Calvary. Father, we pray above anything else that if there be any here today that have not yet repented of their sin and trusted Christ as Savior, Father, we pray that this would be the day of salvation. Lord, we pray that this would be the day, this would be the hour when they pray and call upon the name of the Lord, asking you to forgive them and trust in Christ as Savior. There is no more important message, there is no more important moment in a person's life than when they call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, we thank you for what you've done. We give you honor and glory for who you are and for what you will do, for the strength and the grace that you give and continue to give. And Lord, we just want to honor your name 
and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, this is my last regular Sunday morning service here, um, so it's very difficult uh, in a lot of ways. But this is what churches, this is what good churches go through all the time, because churches outlive pastors. It's the way it's supposed to be. If churches had stuck with the stuff, like reading in Revelation, the chapters 2 and 3, uh, and 3 and 4, 2, 3 and 4, somewhere in there. It's in Revelation. Uh, they'd still be around today. And they'd have gone through multiple pastors as time goes by. I'm extraordinarily thankful, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, every week to have been pastoring this church. And I just want to share my heart. People say, are you going to take a church down there? I'm not. I, I, I won't. If someone came up, I wouldn't take it right now. It may be after we settle in equilibrium, you know, results that it, we'll get involved. We're going to serve the Lord no matter where we go. Amen. But I say this to share with you that I felt God's call to preach the gospel. Very, I'm very thankful for that. It's hard because how do you know? I didn't get the note and I didn't get the phone call that I had asked for. But God wouldn't give me peace about doing anything else. And so I, that's how I knew. And uh, so followed the call and planted a church. I felt God would have, to have us plant a church. We planted a church. Here we are. And um, I don't really feel the call to another church. You know, this is, this is Lighthouse. And uh, God will lead us to serve another area. I'm confident. I'm very confident in that because I, I want to serve him until the day I die. But I just say that to share my heart on, um, on, on all of this. The first introduction to the sermon in March of 1986 went like this. Three years ago, when I knew in my heart that God called me to be a preacher of the gospel, I wondered what to name the church. It's a little funny. I wasn't, I wasn't married. I had over one and a half years left in the Baptist Bible Institute before I would be done with my classroom training. But the question was there, what would God have me name the church? Answer, Calvary. And this was spurred by a sermon that I heard at the City Mission of Albany by Don McGrath, who used to go preaching down the City Mission of Albany about once a month. And uh, that's back when they were on Hudson Street, I think. Pretty gamey area, pretty gamey crowd. We, you got time for about 10 stories? <laughs> Just a really, really wonderful time. But I had wondered, you know, what are you going to call it? Because this is, I, I tried looking for verse, and this is one of those things, Lord, I don't know. I, I, you got to give it a name, right? And I want to do it prayerfully. I want it to be the name God wants us to have. And so I said, Calvary or Lighthouse? Lighthouse because I heard someone sing that song. Amen. Mike and Barbara Switzer at a 1983, I think, Valentine's Day dinner sang, if it wasn't for the Lighthouse. I said, that's a great name for a church. So I went with Calvary, found out there was another one. Then we switched over to Lighthouse about August of 1986. Uh, more importantly, on this point, on Calvary, we're going to look at three things just very quickly. Jesus was fully committed. He died all by himself. He preached to multitude. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 14 through 21, we're not going to read all these verses, but Matthew chapter 15, verses 14 through 21, we see, and Jesus went forth. I'm sorry, wrong one. Matthew chapter 15. It says, um, no, it was Matthew chapter 14. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is now a desert place, the time is now past. And so it's a, he's preaching to multitudes. 
A lot of people around him when things are going well. It, intriguing message. You know, it, it doesn't show 100% shallowness, but it shows you know, people are, are really moved by, by what they hear, the Spirit of God's involved in it. He's preaching multitudes, and people are responding. They're saying, I'm in, I'm in. This is really good. He, they saw him heal people. And how could you not listen to someone? First of all, it's Jesus. And everything that he said, he said flawlessly. He said it with authority. There was com- this compelling moving of the Holy Spirit, I'm certain. Not an overwhelming. He didn't control everybody. Otherwise, everybody would have followed him, and nobody would have denied him. But it was a moving of the Holy Spirit as they heard uh, what was being said from the very lips of Jesus. They looked in his eyes. Eyes are the windows of the soul. Can you imagine listening to one of his sermons and looking at him as he says it? I, I can't think of anything more moving than a moment like that. So he's preaching to multitudes. Multitudes were healed. 5,000 were fed at the course of feeding of the 5,000. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, he's welcomed by an entire city on his triumphal entry. And, it's, it's, and thousands are there. Hosanna, the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And they're laying palm branches in his way. Multitudes are there, and this is really exciting. Some people said, oh, well, maybe he's going to bring in a new government, you know, because they thought he's going to bring in a new kingdom, and so we'll get rid of the Romans, and so the city of Jerusalem cheered on his entrance. They wanted him to be king. But when it came to giving, oh, that, I'm sorry, that's when he was giving. But when it came to giving it all, his very life, that's when he died alone. Jesus died alone. He died alone. It's really the way, and there were a few people there, but in comparison, he's the only one on the cross. No one's rescuing him. And these mocking fools, and they are fools. They're fools of the highest order. They're mocking. They're looking at Jesus on the cross and saying, if you're the, be the, if you're the son of God, save yourself. Come on down from the cross. I can almost understand that thinking on a certain level. Well, what a horrible statement to make. To look at Jesus, the Son of God, and say, yeah, if you're really him, come on down the cross. Like he has to prove something. He didn't have to prove anything. He was completing the perfect will of God. He's dying on the cross for the sins. They wanted him to be their king. And he he finally wound up dying alone. Throngs of people. The thousands that were with him just a week earlier are now turning against him viciously in less than one week. I can imagine the internal conflict inside people's hearts. It must have been absolutely immense. Because I don't believe everybody that was cheering him coming in was accusing him as he died. Some of them were probably saying, I don't know what's going on. And I feel like this is so wrong. But they never said anything. At least nothing that's recorded. It doesn't say, and there were groups of people that said, please don't do this. That's not recorded. They were probably afraid and scared. But the city turned against them. And in in chapter 27, as we read in verse 20, we see this was led by the religious leaders. It says, um, uh, but the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Destroy him. The Jews, Pilate said, I don't find any fault in this man. Why don't I release him? They said, let his blood be on us and upon our children. That's what they said. They had no idea what they were saying. They had no idea the prophetic accuracy and the spiritual accountability of everything they were doing. Let his blood be on us and upon our children. He died alone. His, his 12 apostles had left him. 
Judas, of course, Judas. Nobody names their children Judas because it's Judas. Can you imagine walking with Jesus for three, maybe three and a half years, and then denying him, selling him out? And we could talk about how that probably happened, what he was thinking. But the bottom line is that's exactly what he did. And at the Last Supper, he said, one of you will betray me. Now, there's only his 12 apostles there, right? He said, one of you will betray me. Nobody said, I bet it's Judas. Nobody said that. They're all saying, well, who is it? Who is it? And Jesus said, I believe softly, I believe John's the only one who heard him because he leaned on his breast, he was leaning against Jesus. He said, he who dips the sop with me. If Peter heard Jesus say, he who dips the sop with me, he'd have jumped across the table and beat him to death. Because that's Peter. But Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed. Judas is the one who did it. And then you have Peter. In Matthew chapter 26, in verse 33, Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crowed, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter said, No, that's never going to happen. Peter denied him. The rest, in verses 35, it says... Um, it says, likewise also said all the disciples. And then in verse 56, at the end of verse 56, it says, then all the disciples forsook him and fled. He died alone. Jesus was, you know, there was an old book called uh, Steel and Velvet. I think that's the title. You may recall that book. It's an older book, Steel and Velvet. And it talks about the, the different characteristics, godly characteristics of men that men should have, but particularly as exemplified in Christ. And he was steeled. He was, there was no deterring him from what was going to happen. In, in spite of the pain, the agony, uh, everything that he went through. Matter of fact, in, in, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, it says, in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The Father turned his back on the sun. Only time this happened in all of eternity. Why was that? Because, the scriptures say, that Jesus became sin for us, who knew no sin, he knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The way of salvation, I've said it before, I just want to say it again, is through Jesus. It's not a religious thing. Not by coming to Lighthouse or going to any particular church, but we need to repent and trust Christ as our Savior. It's a message that is wonderful. It's true. I remember when I first heard this. I'd come back from California. I know some of you have heard this before, but I came back from California. My brother's a, a born-again Christian. Oy vey! <laughs> you know, what happened here? And uh, I finally went to church. It was an independent Baptist church. Heard the gospel preached. Was provoked with the truth that I knew was right. I knew a little bit about the Bible, a little bit about the Bible. If I believed in God, I believed in Jesus, I believed in, in God, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, I believed that he died on the cross, I believed that he was buried in the tomb, I believed he rose again. I knew all those things academically. I knew those things. If you'd ask me, is this true? I'd check the box, yes. But I had never repented and trusted Christ as Savior. I, I hadn't done it. And then, but when I thought about this, and I, I saw it through Scripture, that this is true, I read it for myself, I need to just take... 
you know, the, the guy's word for it who's up front telling me about these things. I want to read it for myself. I read it for myself. That's exactly what the Bible says. And now I had a decision to make. What are you going to do? I could just say, well, I'll think about it. Well, it's okay to think about it, but don't let it go. Don't think about it and let it fade. Think about it and do something about it. Do something about it. This is the most important decision we'll ever make. And so the fact that he did, so it was one Sunday after church service. I'd been to church at, the, at again, uh, Temple Baptist Church. In the morning, I went home afterwards, and I'm thinking, this is not going away. I've got to answer this. And it was just the Holy Spirit of God working, just ways working in, in your heart, in your life, so many ways, and perhaps even today, saying, yeah, this is for you. Maybe this is something you need to do. In my mind, I'm thinking, I've got to do something about this. And so I, I prayed, and I said, God, please forgive me. I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. I believe he's your son. And I'm asking you to forgive me, and I need Jesus Christ as my Savior. And, and that's when I got saved. I didn't add to it later on. I'm not more saved because I've been pastoring for this many years with no indictments. But that's when I got saved, 100% saved at that time. I, didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't 3% saved before, and I wasn't 102% saved after. I got 100% saved, born again into the family of God at that time. Jesus, he was fully committed. He died alone. If, if, if we could be 1% of the commitment, if we could have 1% of the commitment Jesus had, we do so well. So he's fully committed, died alone, quickly, fully concerned. He died for us. He was a sacrifice to mend a broken people. We didn't even know it, but we are. We're a broken people. We have an emptiness in our life. We have an uncertainty regarding the future that only Jesus could, could answer. He was the sacrifice. He was the perfect gift that was needed to bridge this eternal gap between God and man. We may want to get there, but... How do you do this? How do I get there? Well, it's by receiving Christ. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 24, it, says it, it tells us that he took all our sins upon himself. And just as a, a brief recap of that day, it's an incredible day. There are some times when God has done some supernatural phenomenon to authenticate that what's happening is really, really important. He did it at creation. He did it during the Exodus. He did it during the ministries of Elijah and Elisha when the northern kingdom of Israel was about to be destroyed. He sent this final, very demonstrative set of prophets. And then he did it in the beginning of the New Testament with Jesus Christ. And when he died on the cross, so all the miracles are done. Lazarus raising from the dead, the, the, the deaf having their hearing restored, the blind their sight, the leprous are cleansed, sins are forgiven. Then here on the cross of Calvary, look at Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, verse 44. And it says, and it was about the sixth hour and there was a darkness over all the earth unto the ninth hour. There was darkness over all the earth. We're going to just close on that in a minute, but the entire earth was blanketed in darkness. The entire earth was blanketed in darkness. For three hours. Jesus had already been on the cross for three hours. And then there was silence for three hours. Silence. Can you imagine what was going on here? These people, they'd seen scourgings. 
They had seen whippings, they'd seen beatings, they probably saw crucifixions, but they never saw anything like this. They never saw someone go to the cross who they knew some people were saying was the Son of God, who some people said he was the Savior, that the prophet Isaiah said would be a suffering servant. He'd be the Lamb of God. He'd be the one whose visage, his appearance was so marred more than any man. The beatings on his body were so bad, he was disfigured as a result of the cruelty imposed upon him. And now there's someone on the cross who people are saying, maybe not you, but the people around you are saying, he's the one, that's the one. And then all of this is confirmed, whoosh, for three hours. There's complete darkness over the entire world. Down the hill in the temple, at the time of Christ's death, the, the curtain in the temple that separated the people from the Holy of Holies was ripped in half. Some people said it was about 18 inches thick. It's like ripping a phone book. And it didn't happen from the bottom up. It didn't decay and wither away at the sides. God ripped it in half from top to bottom. When his son died on the cross, people had to say, what in the world is going on here? The priests in the temple offering up Passover sacrifices this time and special sacrifices in the temple must have come out saying, you won't believe what just happened in there. People come down from Calvary said, you won't believe what just happened up here. There was an earthquake. Graves were opened and many of the saints which slept arose and went into the holy city. It was this, this, in God, so these people had seen these things before. Similar things beatings and scourgings and things like that. But they had never seen anything like this. And I see that not as God overwhelming people, taking beyond their senses to force them into some form of confession, but I see it as God graciously demonstrating this is different. This isn't like anything else that's ever happened or anything else that will ever happen. This is very special. God the Father turned his back on the Son because he became sin for us. And there's never been a moment like that in all of time and eternity, never will be another moment like that. In all of time and eternity. Why? Because he hath once suffered for sins. The just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. An amazing thing happened on, on the cross of Calvary. And you know, this is more than just a biblical record. It is noteworthy, and it's important to understand. The very best record, and this is just objectively speaking, in all the world of what happened during those times is the Bible. It is the best record. There are other things written about it. Josephus writes about it, the other historians. But one, one, one historian of note is actually a Christian whose name was Tertullian. In the second century, about 100 years or so after Christ's death, said this to his heathen adversaries. So it's a debate, he's apologetic, he's not apologizing, but he's presenting the argument for the credibility and the truthfulness of the gospel of Jesus and all these things. And he said this, he said, at the moment of Christ's death, the light departed from the sun and the land was darkened at noonday, which wonder is related in your own annals and is preserved in your archives to this day. It was an objective truth. Everybody saw it. You know, the flood, every, every major civilization has a flood story. Well, why is that? Because the flood happened. And they have their own, you know, goofy twist on it. But the flood happened. And the sun really was blocked, blackened for three full hours. So he's fully concerned. He died for us. If you could stand before God right now, all by yourself, and ask, why did you do this? 
I can't, I, I'm not capable of presenting a picture that will fully describe all that the Son of God went through on the cross of Calvary. I'm not capable. I don't think anyone's capable. But he went through more than what anybody else could ever go through. And he's the Son of God. Never sinned, perfectly holy, pure. Only gave love and correction, because that's part of love. But the, he was the means of salvation. If you were to ask him, stand before God all by yourself. Your mom's not there. Your dad's not there. Your friend's not there. It's just you. Why did you do this? He would absolutely say, I did it for you. Your name is on his heart. Your name is on his heart. He wants you saved. He wants you saved. That's why he died. God has everything perfectly worked out. So what do we do? We could say, well, I'll think about it. And if you need to think about it, that's fine. Or you could say, you know what? He's right. The word of God is right. I am a sinner. I believe he died and crushed my sins. I need to repent. I need to, I need to ask Jesus to be my personal Savior. I need to ask God to forgive me. If you haven't prayed yet I, and, and done that, whether in your seat or when we have an invitation a couple minutes, my strongest message, encouragement to you is don't leave here unsure. Pray. Make it sure. Last point, and we'll close in just a minute. So he, he was fully concerned, but also fully connected. And just very briefly, he's given us a new name. <laughs> you know, we had a name before. And those of you who are saved... Those of you who trusted Christ, he gave you a new name. He's given us a new purpose. I never would have thought about doing this. I would have done something stupid. <laughs> really, just go live a life. Maybe, it's, maybe not a crime spree or anything, but you know, just go live a meaningless life serving myself. I could have done that. You could, we all could do that. But he gives us a purpose. And the greatest purpose we could ever have is to serve him. It's the greatest purpose. It's not about us. It's not about, God, what can you do for me? And he does do a lot for us. I'm not minimizing that. And I don't make light of it either, because a lot of times we need him to intervene in our lives. But it's not about us. It's all about him. It's all about the gospel. It's about getting that message out. He's given us a new name, a new purpose, and thankfully he's given us a brand new destiny. Uh, we're going to cover tonight. We have a special service tonight, kind of informal service I've asked Pastor Prime, to be part of that. We're going to share some things tonight. Uh, but it's, it's all because of Calvary. And uh, so whoever you are who said, hey, why don't you make that your last message? I want to thank you for that encouragement. Because it's all about Calvary. And um, there's no greater message, no greater time. There's no more important time. And this is absolutely objectively true. No greater more important time in all the time of eternity when Jesus died on the cross. And the second most important time is when you apply it to yourself. You pray and ask Jesus to be your Savior. I'm going to ask that we bow our heads for just a minute. And uh, just, just a quiet time, eyes closed before God. Are you, I just want to ask you a question. Are you saved? I don't mean religious and are you a good person because neither one of those points really matter. Are you saved? Have you asked God to forgive you? And do you believe that Jesus really died on the cross in the payment of your sin? Do you believe that? Well, ask God to forgive you and ask Jesus to be your savior. 
you can pray. Dear God, please forgive me. I believe that Jesus died for me. I don't want to go my own way anymore. I'm asking you to forgive me, and I need Jesus Christ as my Savior. I believe in him. I believe what he did, and I need it. God, I thank you for the gift of eternal life that you give to whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. My friend's most important message will ever consider. We're going to sing a, a couple verses of an invitation song. An invitation a precious time. You may come and pray at the altar. Many people have over the years. You may pray in your seat. If you have any questions about this message of salvation, again, most important message, most important topic you'll ever deal with, you know, please let us know. If you have any questions, please feel to come forward right now. <laughs> right now. We could get this settled before God. You never have to fear about where you're going to go. You can know for sure. We hope that message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.